the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message. The concept of identity is very important. What is your identity? If you were to pull out of your pocket your driver's license and hand it to me, it would give me some very important aspects of your identity. Your name, your gender, your height, your weight, your real weight, your hair and eye color. But obviously, your identity goes far beyond just your physical description and your actual name. American, Hispanic, engineer, manager, father, daughter. Whether physical or national, familial or vocational, there are particulars that will vary from individual to individual. But when it comes to your identity as a Christian, your identity in Christ There are certain non-negotiables that are part of your identity, part of all of our identities, and regardless of whether you behave in alignment with that identity. The key here then, of course, is to live as Christians according to what our identity is, according to how God sees us, according to what Christ has purchased us for and to be. You understand that. That is the daily joy and struggle of the Christian life, to be who we are, to be who we have been called to be. And so again, I ask you, what is your identity? Well, your spiritual identity can be found in summary fashion in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and I invite you to turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Verses 1 and 2, as we continue our study of the epistle to the Corinthians, the first epistle, we find ourselves in these two verses as Paul continues to address the same issue, but has given us a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. Follow along as I read verses 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. In these two verses, we will find this morning three absolutes. Three absolutes of a pastor's, no. Three absolutes of a minister's, no. Three absolutes of a Christian's identity. Let me explain. Most often when you listen to a sermon, the goal is not just to learn something new, but to apply something. Once in a while, you'll hear a sermon that you can apply, but doesn't directly address you or your situation. 
For example, a sermon on the qualifications of a pastor, but you are not a pastor. Or the exposition of a passage on women's roles, but you are a man. You can still apply those, but they're not directly for you. Sometimes you come across a passage and a sermon that has both. An application for you found within a direct address to someone else. Today is such a sermon. Because in this passage, Paul begins by saying, let a man regard us. The us he is talking about is not all Christians. He is talking specifically about himself as an apostle and Apollos as their former pastor. So the direct context is speaking of the apostles and pastors and elders of the church. The us makes this passage a direct application to those in the same or similar roles of these teachers and church leaders. This is a passage, for example, for me as a pastor. So how does this apply to you as a lay person in the church? Well, when we unpack these verses, you will see that the requirements listed here of the pastor and the reason for those requirements are very general, and they revolve around service and the gospel. So indirectly, these verses need to be applied by all Christians. You could say, truthfully, that these same characteristics in the form of commands are found elsewhere in the New Testament addressing all Christians. So I started in my study and preparation of the sermon by saying three absolutes of a pastor's identity, intending to apply it to you as well. I said, well, that's not really the, what we call the expositional outline, the outline of the sermon, which is very different, but comes from the exegetical outline, which is the outline of the passage. Then up until bedtime last night, I had three absolutes of a minister's identity, and I was going to clarify that minister is a title for all Christians, but yet there are some who may tune in late and still be confused and think this is for the full-time minister. And so this morning, I changed it to three absolutes of a Christian's identity. But I still want you to understand that when I use the term minister, Although in our American culture, it refers to full-time ministers, what I am talking, to, talking about, rather, are those who minister or should be ministering, which is all of us, every single Christian, all Christians. And so, let's move on to see our first absolute of a Christian's identity. We see this in the first part of verse 1, let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ. Here's what Paul is saying directly to the Corinthians. He's saying, Corinthians, stop thinking of us the way you are thinking of us. As leaders of these factions within the church to be praised or lifted up on pedestals. Rather, Paul says, understand and view us as servants, as stewards. This is a huge difference from how the Corinthians are currently viewing them and extolling them. And I want you to pay close attention to these words because what they meant when Paul wrote them is very different than what they mean today, especially in the church. You see, this isn't false modesty. This isn't merely Paul attempting to end division in the church. It is a reality of how Paul views himself in light of what he knows about God and in light of what he knows about his calling in Christ, not just as an apostle, but as a Christian, He says, regard me, regard us in this matter, reckon, consider. This is the truth of how you should see us. When Paul's name, Peter's name, 
Apollos' name pops up in your mind, this is the first thing you should think about. Not what you're thinking about now, Corinthians. And again, he says, regard us. This is Paul, Apollos, and Peter. And by extension, other fellow workers or ministers. And by extension, that trickles down to all of us. The first thing that he wants them to regard him as is a servant of Christ. We see this in verse 1. The word servant is a minister. It is a helper. That's very important. More important is this definition. A servant is someone who is in the service of someone else. You say, well, duh, we know that. That seems obvious when you focus on just the definition of a servant. But I want to remind you of this. I want to clarify this for this simple reason. Because we use the term servant so loosely in the church. We're all servants. I've done it already this morning. It's even used as a synonym for Christian. In other words, we call people servants even when they're not actively serving because it's a synonym for Christian, believer, born again. And often, especially with common titles that we use in the church, it's helpful to stop and think of what that means. Believer, what do you mean? The Russian church, I don't know if they still do, but they used to call believers repenters. That's so good. That's gold. What does that mean? Why is the official title Christian? Why is Christ's name in our name? Stop and think about it, and we should do that with the word servant here. You see, servant isn't just someone who believes the Bible and obeys God in a pursuit of holiness knowing that he is supposed to serve. It's not just someone who who seeks righteousness. Servant is someone in service of another. Servant is a Christian who is actually doing something in submission to another Christian or non-Christian. That another we see here is primarily and principally Christ. Regard us as servants of Christ. It is only because of what Christ has called us to that we are servants of others. That's very important. We often flip these commands in the Scriptures. Now we are being pushed in a way that we are testing what we are told to do in Scripture, which is submit to the government. But you only submit to the government or your husband, or your boss, or your whoever, pastor, your dad, your parents, to the degree that it aligns with Scripture. And sometimes we, we get confused, and we want to do the right thing, and we say, well, the Bible says I need to obey my dad, and my dad says stop going to church. It says it right there, obey your parents. Yeah, yeah, but why do you obey your parents? Because God says so. So you've got to obey God first and go to church, right? All the way down to your husband or your dad says, it's a telemarketer, lie, say I'm not home. You can't do that. We must obey God first. We obey these other people because of God. We must serve Christ first. We serve others because of Christ. We serve others, whether in the church or in the world in general, for the sake of Christ, in line with Christ. And that is we serve them for Him, according to Him. We serve them for, firstly, His glory, not for ourselves, not to feel good, not to ease our consciences, not for our own glory, 
And by the way, a common, you know, we, we often say, well, I don't serve for my glory. Anytime you have fear of man, that's serving for your glory or not serving for your glory, right? For your reputation to feel good, for your image. We are servants of Christ and Christ alone. Let me give you a little history of this word. Originally, this word servant referred to a slave, uh, but not just any slave, a third-row galley slave. What does that mean? You've seen drawings of ancient ships, and these ancient ships, when you look down, had holes on the side, and out of those holes were oars. That's how they would get to where they needed to go when the wind was not cooperating. Who would row? Who would be sometimes below water level to row? Not the captain, not the noble citizens, the slaves. And oftentimes in these bigger ships, there were three rows, and the third row, the bottom tier, was the worst. Because even though those holes would be covered with leather, not airtight plastic, leather, obviously water would get in. It was miserable. Plus, they were clearly not building these ships to give them a lot of comfort and room, right? These people were slaves. They were owned. They were utilitarian. They were rowers. And so you are already underneath the planks of two other rows of slaves who are rowing on top of you, on top of that nearly drowning every time the waves kick up. So naturally, who would be chosen to be those rowers on the bottom rung? The despised, the least of the slaves. From there, though, the word evolved. It came to refer to any subordinate under the authority of someone else. That comes closer to how we understand it today. Any subordinate under the authority of someone else. And that would be closer to what Paul is talking about here with the idea of a slave, of course. This is not as bad as a galley slave, but still an underling, a helper, an attendant, not the boss. In other words, someone whose entire life was not about himself, but about another. That's very important. Not nine to five, not Sunday mornings, not when there is a need, but someone's entire life is about someone else, and that is Christ. He is an assistant. Think about that. In some way, shape, or form in society, in culture, we all want to be our own person. We want to make it in this big, bad world. Be the boss. If not at work, at least of something. I made this project. I am over this household. I started this club. I am this position in that place. And yet here's the Apostle Paul the great Apostle Paul. Who has an easy way to be extolled and praised and lifted up. Because all he has to do is write a letter to the Corinthians and say, thank you. Yes, that's it. Or say nothing. He's already being praised. He's already being extolled. He is already being put on a pedestal. He doesn't thank them. He doesn't say, that's okay. Yeah, I did a lot. I... I, Thanks for recognizing that. He doesn't even say, no, no, don't do that. He says, how dare you? 
how dare you lift me up? You need to repent. Cut it out. Stop it. We are merely slaves of Jesus Christ. Don't put me on a pedestal, he says. See me as a slave, an assistant, not the leader of a faction. You know what a servant does? A true servant, he takes orders and then executes them immediately, right away. His will is not his will. His will is that of his master and Lord and only that of his master and Lord, Jesus Christ. We need to keep that in mind as we see ourselves as servants. Being a Christian means doing what God wants, but doing it right away. My kids know this. Delayed obedience is disobedience. It's the same with God. Don't repent later, repent now. Don't serve later, serve now. Give now, pray now, attend now. You get this in the context of work. If your boss comes to your office or your cubicle and says, client's here, he's waiting in the conference room, go meet with him. And you walk down the hall and pass the conference room and go to lunch. But a week later, you set up a meeting with that person. You go, I met with him like you asked. No, he would say, you did not do what I asked because you didn't do it when I said to do it. I don't care if you moved in with him. I don't care if you live with him now. I said meet with him. Obviously, you know I meant now. It doesn't matter if you didn't do it now. You disobeyed. And yet, somehow with God, we put off. We delay. We say, that's not for me. Or we just flat out shut our Bibles and turn off our consciences and say, no. I'll do that later. Oh, when I get married, purity will come. I'll do that later. Well, you know, I've been praying, praying for a house. So after I pay, you know, I have a list of missionaries I want to support. But when I get my house, well, I, you know, COVID ended and interest rates went up. And so my mortgage is a little higher. After I pay off a, a little bit more, then I'll give. Let me just enjoy now. I'll just, you know, these, my friends are going off and off to college soon. Let me just enjoy now. Just you know, go drinking with them a couple times. You know, it's never that bad. I always, one of them's always a designated driver. And then when they move, I'll, that's disobedience. You know, something my wife and I ask ourselves all the time is, is the sin worth it? Is the sin worth it? I, I mean, big things, Right? If we're always getting angry with the kids we have now, should we get rid of the idea of having another baby because the sin is not worth it? It's a big deal. Those of you who know us know how big a deal it is for us. But the sin's not worth it. Should we buy this? The sin's not worth it. Should we give the kids this? The sin's not worth it. Should we go on a date night? The sin's not worth it if we're going to be cranky in the morning. And this is how we need to see it. And yet, you have to understand that when you delay obedience, you're saying the sin is worth it. And God's glory is not. Because I can glorify Him later, not don't need to do it now. 
And so you're saying he doesn't deserve glory all the time in your life. You're saying the sin is worth it now, but not later. Right? This isn't like some chore that you have to do someday in your life. It's not a bucket list. I, you know, I, I climbed Mount Everest once and that's it. And someday I'll do it. Someday I'll deal with that sin. That's not how it works. You know that. A servant's will is not his. It is the will of his master. Do it and do it now. And by the way, it's not okay for the servant to lose attention or run away so he can't hear what the orders of his master are. How does that apply to us? Read your Bibles. If you want to obey now, you need to know how to obey now. You need to understand what we are to do, but also why we are to do it. See, we're not the boss. When we delay, when we put off, when we say we're not even going to do it at all, that makes you the boss. That makes you the master. That makes you the Lord. But you're not. You're a servant. You're His servant. And since you are Christ's servant, as the Scriptures clearly tell us, that means by extension, you are my servant and his servant and her servant and their servant. What does that mean? What does that mean to be a servant of Christ and by extension, my servant? It means you serve me in the way that God prescribes and not necessarily what I want what I desire. Let me give you some examples if that's confusing to you. You are to serve the world, non-Christians. Many non-Christians don't want you to preach the gospel to them or even do things on a, a social level like vote against abortion. But you're still serving them by doing so even though they don't want you to. Many Christians don't want to be corrected or rebuked for their sin, but you are serving them by doing so. Again, the concept of that you are serving Christ first and foremost, and then you are serving others in light of that. Because in both of those examples, you are ultimately serving Christ. When you understand this order of priorities, which in reality is just one priority, serve Christ, then you erase the fear of man. You get rid of the sources of division, and you focus on others rather than yourself. It's very simple. Serve Christ. The minister, the Christian, is a servant. Let's look at a second absolute of a Christian's identity. The Christian is a steward. The Christian is a steward. Look at the second part of verse 1. Consider us as servants of Christ, he says, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Let me work from back to front. Mysteries, as we've seen before in 1 Corinthians, is something hidden. It was revealed at a certain time. The mysteries of God are something hidden that was revealed by God and can only be known by His divine revelation, through His revelation. They are things that God chose to reveal at a particular time. We know in the span of His plan, the overarching kind of bird's eye view of the plan, the history of man, this refers to the gospel. This refers to the life and time specifically of Jesus Christ. See, the Old Testament, they knew generalities. The intertestamental period, they had generalities. 
but the specifics, the names, what he would do, what he would say, what he would teach. These are the mysteries that God revealed when Jesus was here. So, on a broader level, the specifics of Jesus Christ as found in the Gospels, and then, more broadly, the whole of the New Testament. Of all of this, pastors and all believers are stewards. We are stewards of the Gospel. We are stewards of the truths of God. Remember, this is still connected to let a man regard us in this manner. It is part of how Paul wants to be viewed, how he should be viewed. What is a steward? A steward is a manager of a household. I don't think we really have that kind of thing today. In those times, it would be a slave who was in charge of the whole household. Notice I said household, not house. He wasn't just a a handyman or a super who took care of the physical building. He would oversee the property, yes, but also the finances, the food, even the other slaves. His responsibilities would include things like adhering to a household budget set by the master, the owner of the house, allocating resources, giving food when it was appropriate, giving clothing and fabrics when it was appropriate. He would even be in charge of collecting debts. He would run the establishment. Obviously, especially for the wealthier people who had a lot of farmland, for example, this would need to be someone, a slave, that the head of the household could trust. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Tune in next week for a continuation of this message. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Rogers' teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through the website gracebayarea.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.